60-ish, and it wasn't until 313 when Constantine became the emperor and passed the Edict of Milan, which was protecting Christianity, right? So just wanted you to get some context that the early church, Christians in the early church were going to struggle a lot of persecution for the years to come. So Peter is writing in a time of persecution to encourage them. And what, what does he say? He says, when you are experiencing persecution, that doesn't mean that you get to say, screw the people in charge and talk badly about them. What does he encourage these people to do? He says to submit yourselves to every human institution, right? Whether it's the king or the emperor. He says to honor all people, to love the brotherhood, to fear God and honor the king. So I think this is pretty powerful that Peter and these people are experiencing this persecution that we can't even wrap our minds around. Like we are going to experience some level of persecution and feeling um, not accepted by society because of being followers of Jesus, but our life isn't on the line. And I think it's really powerful that Peter is writing when his life, his own life, is on the line. And I think, um, well, then he uses Christ as an example, right? The person who, who suffered the ultimate amount of suffering under human institutions, right? Like it was human institutions. It was the emperor that nailed him to the cross. And we learn here, we're reminded here that he doesn't utter threats back, right? He's not like, y'all are all gonna go to hell because of what you're doing. No, Jesus, remember what he says. He says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. I think that Jesus is such a powerful example He has a heavy heart for corrupt institution, ones that bring pain and evil, but he does not speak evil back to them in return. He humbles himself. He took on harsh behavior, but he didn't utter threats back. He had the power, right? He could have been harsh back and defended himself, but he took on the punishment and he trusted God as the ultimate judge. And so what Peter is encouraging us here is that when we are experiencing human institutions, when we are experiencing people that are in authority over us that we don't agree with, that doesn't mean that we get to be mean about them and talk harshly about them because they are also made in the image of God, right? And I think when I was studying this, at first I was like, oh, this, this text isn't very applicable to college students. Like, they want to talk about things like dating and friendships and all those hot topics, right? Like anxiety, those kind of things. But why, why does this matter to college students? But as I really was praying about it and talking to our leadership team, I realized, hey, we in this I think our generation specifically, but I think specifically in the college season of life, we have a hard time with figuring out how we respond to authority, right? Because you're in the middle of the season of life where you have just been given so much freedom. You've gotten off on your own. You're living on your own. You've been given all this freedom, but yet you still have authority over you, right? And for the rest of your life, all the way into your adulthood, you're always going to have some level of authority over you. So it is important that we think about 
how we are called to treat the authority in our life, even um, when we're frustrated with them, even when we disagree with them for good reason. Like maybe you feel like there's authority in your life that isn't pursuing justice, or maybe there's authority that you feel like isn't hearing you out well. Maybe you got a grade that you don't feel like you deserve, or maybe there was an assumption made about you that wasn't true, or maybe you're not getting the playing time that you you think you deserve. So regardless what your reasoning is with being frustrated with the authority in your life or disagreeing with the terms that they're playing on, that doesn't give us the excuse to speak maliciously, to speak evil towards them, to wish bad things upon them. We are called to live like Jesus, and how did Jesus live? He was humble. So, I wanna talk about at our tables, start off, how are we doing honoring authority in our life? And is there any authority in your life that you need to be more respectful to? This probably isn't a question you've thought of very recently, but I think it's important to think about, like, what, what's the authority that I have in my life? And, and how am I treating them? Am I being respectful or am I talking a lot of crap? Um, so let's talk about it at our tables. <laughs> okay, well, let's talk about why it is important to honor authority. What did, what did y'all come up with? I mean, other than, that's, of course, what we've talked about as well. Why do we honor authority in, your, in our lives? Oh. Okay. A lot of us talked about our classes and our professors in particular and how we get on our phones in class. And I just don't always think of my professors as my authority. But somebody in our table pointed out that these people have been called by God to be in authority and we're making it harder for them to answer their call by being disrespectful in that way. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, that's a that's like a super simple way to say, hey, I want to honor and respect you, and so I'm going to give you my full attention. We should all be able to put our phones up for an hour, right? What you got back there, Haley? (laughs) Okay, Ali, you go next, and then I want to hear what Josh has to say. Okay. Oh, why we on authority, we were just talking about how kind of authority tends to be people older than us or like have more wisdom. So they're putting our lives to like help us out in that way. So we can look at it. You know, professors, they're expert in the subject, coaches, they know more about the sport and things like that. So that's what we said. Yeah. I don't know what in us like makes us want to distrust authority that's in our life. Like, we like to try and think we know better, but most of the people that have been put in authority in our lives in whatever capacity are typically there for a good reason. And so learning to trust the people that the Lord's put in our lives, for sure. Do y'all, y'all want to share anything or no? <laughs> what? Anybody else? Okay, what, someone say, no? 
Okay. Um, yeah, so I, I just wanted us to think about that, like, it, and challenge you guys to think about who are the authorities that have been placed in my life. People that you might interact with, like your professors or your RD or whoever that is, your parents, or who people that you might not ever interact with, like our president. I think it's super easy to talk crap about the government and people that we think are never gonna, we're never going to talk to, and that means we can get away with talking bad about them. But is it you think a good example to the people around us that if we're being really negative about people all the time and not seeing them as image bearers of God. Um, So I think even when we struggle with authority and disagreeing with them, like thinking, hey, this is a real person and I, how can I love them like God would love them um, and follow Jesus's example about not being malicious in the way we're talking. So we're going to keep reading, and this is where it gets a little tricky. Um, So we're going to start chapter 3, and we're going to get back a little bit to the servants part too. But we're going to do 3, 1 through 7. Does anyone want to read it for us? Anybody want to read We got a mic somewhere. Where did <laughs> okay, I'll just do it. Y'all are all boring. Okay. In the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are obe- disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior, uh, w- without a word by the behavior of their wives. As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry and putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. All right, so what did we just read here? Anything sound a little interesting to you? I mean, over half the room in here is women, right? And I know when I hear that women are weaker, I was like, oh, what does that mean? Like, I would get a little bit defensive. So I think let's, let's break down this text and try and understand what it's saying a little bit. Um, so context again What do you think the average age of a man was to get married in that time? Higher? 30. Who said 30? Way to go, Haley. 30. The average age of a man was 30 to get married in Roman culture, okay? In Roman culture. So what was the average age of a female to get married? I I heard it. 15. 15. Way to go. That's a pretty big age gap, right? For some context, 
That would be, who, we have any 22-year-old girls in the room? Who's 22? Okay, y'all over here. We got quite a few 22-year-olds. So for context, Caleb, you're not a girl. <laughs> um, so for context, that would be like Austin Fisher, our lead pastor, marrying one of you 22-year-old girls. That's a little creepy, right? Like that age gap is, is pretty significant. And there's different, like y'all been through different life, right? And I think if thinking back to that culture, like if a man were to marry a young, that, a girl that young, there wouldn't be that same level of respect, right? Because like she was a child for the most part. And the other thing is she was probably sold or gotten a gift from um, the husband to the father, or it was some kind of business deal to help the father um, get some higher level of authority. And so the wives were really seen as property in Roman culture, okay? So that was very normal for the wives to be seen as property, as well as what we do, who we just read about as servants. They were property as well. So Peter's addressing these people who are of the low social status, and we're going to kind of learn what he's, what he's talking about. Um, let's see, what else? Also, where it says women... Uh, or, hold on, I'm getting ahead of myself. So this first part where it's saying wives be submissive to your husbands, what the situation we're reading about, what's going on here, is if you notice, it is talking about the husband is a disbelieving husband. The husband isn't saved yet, and the wife is. And so the wife is to still submit to her husband and hopes that he will see from her virtuous character and learn from her and be um, saved through her respecting him and honoring him. Um, Peter's hoping that the husband will learn about Jesus and want to be a part of Christianity, right? So that's a, a pretty cool thing. Um, and I think if I can imagine like what it was like in those days, the woman probably was experiencing all of this um, like empowerment in Christianity. And they were so excited to find a place where they belonged. And I can imagine that they might have gone home and been like, I'm a strong, independent woman, and I don't need a man in my life to tell me what to do anymore, right? But Peter's like, no, that is not what is going to help them see Jesus. And so bear with me. Be submissive. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. But also, then a little bit further down, it says that um, husbands are supposed to be understanding towards their wife um, as someone weaker, since she is a woman. What does that mean? I mean, I like to think I'm pretty strong. I do CrossFit. I like to take pride in my strength. But Aaron, my husband over there, uh, no matter how much CrossFit I do, and even if I probably try and t take roids, or do, do you take roids? Do roids? I don't know. <laughs> They're like gummies. <laughs> um, I'm not going to be as strong as Aaron, right? He's always going to be stronger than me, and that's okay. Biologically, <laughs> women are typically weaker than men. And that 
is okay. And Peter is not saying that as an insult to women. He's not saying that women are weak and trying to like rub that in their faces. He's saying, no, women who are typically weaker, you should not use your dominion and your strength over them. You should not use your strength or superiority in um, society to take advantage of your wives. So even women who are weaker physically, um, neither Peter nor Paul are saying that women are weaker spiritually. Uh, and that's an important distinction that I, need, I think we need to make, that sometimes when we read this text, it can be taken out of context. So a little bit more context here with what we're reading. So now let's un- try and understand the big picture. Why does this matter? And none of y'all in here are married, so why does this matter to you? Uh, at least I, I don't think any of you are. If you are, great. Marriage is awesome. Um, so what, what is submission? When we think about or hear the word submission, do you think of a positive or negative thing? Negative, right? Yes, it's submission. When we hear this word, it's typically thought of as very negative. What are some words we think of when we think of submission? Commitment, yeah. What else? Obeying, yeah. Powerless, yes. Your freedom and your power being taken away. Anything else? Inferior, yes. Lower than weak. Maybe passivity, domination, loss of freedom. So we typically think of submission as a very negative thing, right? But the actual definition of submission is to put under, okay? So the definition of submission is to put under. So what is biblical submission? Why does the Bible use this term? Why is Peter and Paul choosing to use this term? Is it supposed to be negative? No. So I think biblical submission, according to the example of Jesus, is putting my own needs under the needs of others. Committing my life to elevating the life of others. And that should remind us, if we're familiar with Philippians 2... Verses one through four, get up on the screen. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the spirit, if any affection and compassion. So it's saying like, if the spirit is inside of you at all, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in the spirit, intent on purpose. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So that's what submission is. It's looking out for the interests of others. It's putting others' needs above your own. So Peter is saying here, when you're in a relationship with someone, 
You should always be looking for ways to put their needs above your own. And the reason he's choosing to talk about marriage as an as example is this, it's a great example of this. And it's also a great example to, do, to be an example that's countercultural in their society, right? Because in that time, marriage, the man was in charge. He called the shots. He owned the whole, his whole estate as property, including his wives and slaves. And they didn't have much say. And so he's saying, look, Wives, submit to your husbands. Put them, their needs, above your own. Love them. Elevate them. But then, in the same way, husbands, honor your wives as fellow heirs of life. Okay, so Peter isn't trying to say, do what society says is normal in the household codes. He's saying that all people We're all brothers and sisters, and we all are called to honor each other. We're all called to honor each other and submit to one another. Um, So Peter is saying that if you're in a relationship with someone, if you are in a household, or if you're doing life with someone, so if you have friends, if you're doing life with someone, How can you submit to them? Putting their needs above your own. As brothers and sisters, committing to mutual submission. Um, Tim Mackey, he is in charge, he does the Bible project, and he explains this um, specifically in the context of marriage as this submission dance. That if you are doing marriage right, if you are both pursuing um, Christ, that you are always finding ways to put um, each other first in your marriage. And um, Aaron and I really try and do that to find ways to submit to each other. If y'all want to ask him questions in a little bit, I might get him to come up here if we have time. I think we'll have time. But how in our, our relationships, all our relationships, can we practice submission and finding ways to serve each other? Because this makes us strangers in the world, right? Because like the um, Philippians text was talking about, like the normal thing from Roman culture to American culture today is to put yourself first, to do what is best for you, to do what makes you happy, to protect your own time, to protect your like finances, whatever it is, to stay in your own bubble, to do whatever's safe for you. And what the gospel is, is to die to yourself like Christ died for us on the cross to elevate others. So how can we do that in our lives? How can we practice the submission dance with the relationships that you're in? Maybe um, that's putting your own opinions aside in a conversation so you can listen to your friend. Maybe that's submitting to doing the dishes for the 200th time when you've asked your roommate to do them over and over again. (laughs) And and just saying, hey, I'm going to submit and I'm going to love you and serve you and I'm going to do the dishes again. Or maybe it's submitting to not going to that movie that you know isn't a good idea for your roommate because of something they struggled with in the past. Or maybe it's submitting to staying in with your friends, who is, your friend who is struggling instead of going out that night. Maybe it's 
submitting to read a book that your boyfriend or girlfriend has really been wanting to read together, and you're just not a reader, but this is important to them to learn how to have a godly relationship, and you submit to reading alongside and learning with them. Maybe it's to listen to your parents, a concern that they have with the decision you've made and you trying to understand where they're coming from instead of acting out of defense immediately. Maybe it's just finding a simple way to put somebody's needs above your own. And so I want us to think about this at our table um, as, as we practice submission, as we think about submission and how this is something that God has called us to do, how this is a good thing to put people's needs above our own and how we can stop trying to just take care of ourselves and be selfish. Um, This is something that I've just been super convicted about lately, that we are so concerned about protecting ourselves when there are so many broken, hurting people around us that we should be stepping up to love And we shouldn't be just so concerned about ourselves. So how can we relate to people um, and share the gospel through how we relate to people? Because the gospel is all about Jesus putting his needs aside, coming to earth, dying on the cross for our sins, something he didn't deserve, to give us this ultimate gift of love. So I want us to think about this question Does how I relate with people tell the story of the gospel? Does how I relate with people tell the story of the gospel? So y'all talk about it at your tables. Also, just to simplify the question a little bit, how, um, how are you practicing submitting to people in your life? How are you practicing putting others' needs above your own like Jesus models for us? Does that make sense? We're gonna, I'm going to open up for questions just because I know some of this can be confusing and I'm not going to pretend like I'm an expert, but if you all want to, um, if anybody has any questions, but real quick before we do that, I just I want to say that, so ultimately what Peter is trying to encourage his readers and us here is that every human, no matter where society de- um, deems them on the social ladder, is valuable and precious in God's eyes and is heirs of the kingdom, okay? Remember we talked about how um, they had lost their inheritance probably in a worldly way, but that their inheritance was gonna be the kingdom of God. And so this is a reminder that Peter, Peter's reminding them like you are all, no matter if you're a slave or if you're a woman, you are all heirs of the kingdom, Um, no matter where you are on the social ladder. And so I think what we should be encouraged here by and reminded about is that this life isn't about trying to see who can be most in control and authority and how much you can climb the ladder. If we are trying to be followers of Jesus, it should be how can we serve people? How can we love people? How can we put ourselves below other people? And that in that way reflect the way that Jesus loved us. So that is ultimately what Peter is trying to teach us here. And that's a huge way that we can be different in our culture today. Um, but do y'all want to, y'all have any questions, anything you want to think about a little bit more? Um, anybody confused about anything that I can try and help with?
Sam? Oh. <laughs> I think uh, since we're all um, single and y'all are the only married ones, I think we have some questions. For yeah. I don't have any questions, but I feel like everybody else has a question. Okay. So, so you want me to go up there? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Sorry, Aaron. I'm putting your shoes back on. Yeah, what are ways that we serve each other and put our needs before? Yeah, like on a daily basis. On a daily basis. <laughs> well, I mean, some funny ones is Aaron really wanted navy blue appliances for our new house, and I thought that was a crazy thing, and I submitted to him, and we're getting navy blue appliances. But I think it's gonna look really cool now, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, one thing though that I, w I was just thinking about this, uh, how I practice submission to Aaron, and one thing that I feel like has been an adjustment in being married is um, my family, we would watch movies a lot growing up, like, and that would be a fun bonding thing for the family and a fun way to just like do something chill on the weekend or at the end of a long day. And so that is something that Aaron does not enjoy doing and doesn't feel like is beneficial. And so I've had to learn to submit to him and that for our family. And we really don't watch TV or movies at all. Yeah. Get married, it's fun. I'm just kidding, it is really fun. <laughs> What do we fill, do they fill that time? Um, plants. We like, we like plants. <laughs> um, well, we go to bed pretty early. We're kind of grandmas and grandpas. Oh, we also hang out with people. Yeah, we hang out with people. We try to make space for like people that want to come over and talk, um, make time for our other couple friends, um, small group people, things like that. Instead of just filling it with sitting in front of the TV and mindlessly wasting away. Or working out. We like to work out so I can be stronger than Aaron. I think a simple way is like chores around the house too. Like we both come home and tired and don't always want to unload the dishwasher and clean the house. But uh, something about a clean house just makes everything feel less cluttered and stressed when one space is cleared then there's other spaces in your life that you can direct focus to. Yeah, yeah I just, honestly, ways. like, it's the little things that I feel like are really important. I mean, there's not really many times that there's this big decision that we have to, like, agree on. We're in agreement on most things, and 
there's not a ton of big decisions we're having to make right now. Um, but the little things and finding ways to serve each other and not expect them to do it back in return is the big thing. Yeah, I, th- I think just like culturally and trend of the church world, like just this right here is a lot of submission where generally it's thought that the man should be the spiritual leader, the spiritual authoritative figure, um, but we know that like we have an equal role in that and she can come on stage where she's a lot more gifted than I and I quite frequently hate being up here and being <laughs> in front of everyone, but I'm submitting to Sydney and Sam right now for <laughs> <laughs> for wanting to be here. But I think that's like just knowing and understanding <clears throat> Sydney's role and what God has called her to do and my role in supporting her through that is a way that I've shown submission in my life and have gladly done so. Thanks. <laughs> He's a special one. Oh, yeah. So. That's my little brother, if anyone doesn't know. So. so since Sydney like, makes all the money for the house and basically wears the pants <laughs> in the relationship... How do you submit in that way? <laughs> All the money. I'm a pastor, so. <laughs> so how? Oh, that's a good that yeah. was kind of a joke, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, in the scripture that we read, it talks a lot about like the woman being the one that's submitting. So how do you manage to feel like still like a strong and independent woman while submitting to him? Yeah. Um, when I, I think if you think about submission in a healthy way, like I, I really trust that Aaron's never trying to squash any of my passions and that he only wants to support and help me flourish. Um, and so then it's a joy to get to submit to him in, in ways that I need to submit to him. Um, and I don't know, like, there's there's just not a lot of things that, like, sub- submission is a gift, I feel like, because if I, um, trying to think of a practical example, but you have? I think we can just take it back to what Larry Locke talked about and that. Last week uh, at the table? Yeah, about leadership, or leadership, if we want to call it that, but, like, our mission through what Jesus showed us is to always be wanting to serve other people. And that's how we live a sacrifice, sacrificial Christ-centered life is by always wanting to serve. And so if you're like trying to lead and rule over people, then you're not necessarily living a Christ-centered service life like, like Christ modeled for us. And so... I think that plays a really big role in marriage and um, just always looking for ways to serve. And so, like, submission does, and that text can make it confusing, but in the grand scheme of things, if our mission is to serve one another, then we should be looking everywhere, every opportunity to serve one another and not necessarily think about who's the head of the household or the moneymaker or, (laughs) and just like, yeah, always looking for ways to serve. 
Yeah, I, I think that, yeah, it's just, it's a joy to get to submit to Aaron when there's things I need to submit to. And because he's constantly, we're doing that dance, right? Like going back and forth of trying to find ways to serve each other and love each other best. And um, I don't like having to make decisions all the time and neither does Aaron. So if it's an area that one of us is more gifted in our knowledge, um, I'm going to submit to him. Like, yeah. Or if someone's really passionate about, wants to bless somebody and give them money, like submitting to that passion. Um, yeah. I think another really practical example of this um, is how our church does leadership. We have elders um, and they're all lay leaders except, so that means they're all like not paid by, by Vista. They're all doing other jobs except for Austin and Dave who are the two lead pastors. And they make all the big decisions for our church. And sometimes I feel offended that I'm not invited to be in that room and make some of those decisions because I think my opinion is important and should be heard, right? But then when I think about it, I I think, oh no, it is a gift that I get to submit to their leadership and put my opinions aside and trust that the Lord is working through them and see that as a gift that I don't have to carry that weight. Um, so that's another example. Any other questions? Oh, yeah. Oh, sure. I'll, I'll repeat it for everybody else. Yeah. How do we ensure that we're fully submitting to each other while also fully submitting to the Lord? I think that's a really important question because we should, I, if Aaron is not submitting to the Lord, then it's probably not, I should honor him and respect him and, and still be kind in the way I do things. But if I think he's making a decision that's not rooted in something that he's prayed about, um, I probably shouldn't like just go for it. What, are you going to say something else? So I think, um, I mean, we are, our faith walk is very separate, but also very intertwined. Like my faith does not depend on his faith. Um, My time with the Lord does not depend on his time with the Lord. But when we are both pursuing the Lord passionately together, it inspires us together. And Um, I think just encouraging each other, asking each other questions like, hey, how are you doing connecting with the Lord and um, praying about decisions together? Does that answer your question? Yeah, it's all, it's all about a dance and just kind of learning as, as you go and um, I'm really thankful too that we get to do things like this together and it's, it's very special to get to do ministry together. So anything else? Anything else confusing about the text? Not gonna sort it all out for you. And also I just wanna say in marriage specifically, so I hope this is applicable to all relationships, but in marriage specifically, there are different viewpoints on how to do marriage. Um, and 
So there, there's two different ways of thinking about marriage. It's complementarian and egalitarian. Um, complementarian is that you complement each other, um, but are, the male typically has the leadership role. Egalitarian is where you see the husband and wife as um, serving equally in your marriage. And do your research on those things. I'm not going to say that one is right or wrong by any means. Um, I think as long as you're putting God at the center, then you can have a really flourishing marriage. And it's something that you're going to have to learn together. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, let me pray for us. And I just want to challenge you to think about ways that you can put others' needs before your own this week, or maybe that's specifically with someone in authority in your life that you need to apologize to, or you need to just think more carefully about the way that you're speaking. Um, so let's pray. God, uh, I'm so thankful for you and for your son, for his example that he gave us walking this earth as someone to serve and not to be served. God, and I pray that you would just continually help reshape our minds to think the way that Jesus did, to find ways to love others around us and to put their needs first instead of being so focused on ourselves, to find ways to walk this earth as a host instead of a guest. God, to, to think about how can I be serving someone else in my life. Um, so God, I pray that you would challenge us in our relationships and that we would learn to follow your example. I'm thankful for your word and for your truth. I'm thankful for your grace when we mess up. We love you and it's in your name, amen. <laughs>